Welcome to the Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. This week's show is brought to you by Ranger Boats, still building legends one at a time. Now, here is your host, Chris Brown. What's up, guys? CB here. Little different show for you guys tonight. As uh, I've had a, a a deal pop up that uh, I have to take care of, and so what we've done is I've gone ahead and interviewed our first guest tonight outside of David and Kenneth because they have real jobs and they have to work during the day, and uh, I do too, you know. But still, so uh, anyway, I get to uh, talk to your title champ, Spencer Sheffield, here in just a few minutes. And then we'll take a break. David and Kent will come in in the second half of the show. They're going to interview our buddy Jay Zakurit, your 2022 Bassmaster Rookie of the Year, and talk with him about his win this year, his dominating performances, really, and uh, what's ahead for his sophomore season. You know, they talk about a sophomore slump. Will he have one? I doubt it, but you never know. So uh, they're going to come in and talk with him about that. And then the two of them will wrap up the show and talk about a few things uh, at the end. Before I get to Spencer, though, i got to give a huge shout-out to our buddy, our friend, our pal, Mr. Brandon Polinick, your 2022 Bassmaster Angler of the Year. Right? Yeah, that's right. Angler of the Year. Uh, and I also got to give a big shout out to my buddy, David Jong. David went to lacrosse this past weekend. He hung out there on Saturday and Sunday. He got a really cool shot of Brandon, uh, Tiffany, Cora, and their camera guy, Kyle. Because uh, it does take a team to kind of make all this stuff run. And uh, so, yeah, he got a really cool shot with them. And uh, really, really proud of Brandon. He is only the 12th angler since 1970 to record his second or multiple anglers of the year. So with that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to do a contest right now, right? We're going to do a contest right now. We know Roland Martin's one nine, KVD's one seven, right? Jimmy Houston, Larry Nixon, Gary Klein, Guido Hibden, Davey Height, Swindle, and BP have all won two. But there's three guys, three anglers that have won three Bassmaster Anglers of the Year. I need those three names, those three fishermen that have won three Bassmaster Anglers of the Year from 1970 to 2022. I need to know those three guys that have won three. And you can text that to our hotline, 901 493 Three seven, the winner will get not only a cool prize pack from our friends at X Zone, but also a hundred dollar Sportsman's Warehouse gift card. Right? Name, send me the names of the three that have won three Bassmaster Anglers of the Year. 493 0437. That's our X Zone hotline brought to you by Trickstep. Send that to me and we will text that to me and um, we will compile all of those 
And uh, we may do something for the first one. We may do something for all of them. We don't know yet, right? We got to see how many folks will enter this deal. But you got to get it in. This is Wednesday, the 31st. Let's say you got to have it in by Friday night, midnight, Friday night, September the 2nd. Text it to me, 901-493-0437. That's the Exxon Hotline brought to you by Trickstep. And, uh, yeah, get in the game. I didn't know the three anglers that have won only three Bassmaster Angler of the Year titles and uh, since 1970. So get those in to me. While I've got you, of course, we cannot forget X-Zone, our friends at X-Zone Lures, X-Zone.com. 30% discount, thanks to our buddy Brandon, 30% discount off X-Zone Lures at their website, X-Zone.com. BMP30. That's your discount code. Make sure you use that. BMP30. And uh, make sure you stock up on some X-Zone Lures. XZoneLures.com is the website. BMP30. That's the code. Use that to get 30% off your entire order from now until September the 24th. Uh, let's see. What else to get on? Our friends at Sportsman's Warehouse. They have a Labor Day clearance event. It starts Thursday of this week, the 1st, and runs through the 9th of September. Anything on clearance, take an additional 25% off all clearance items. And, um, yeah, check them out, sportsmans.com. Best place to do that. Or if you got a store nearby, I will be... In the, in the Seminole Florida store, grand opening next Thursday, the 7th, I believe it's the 7th or the 8th. It's the 8th, my bad. I will be in the Seminole store the 8th, and then the following week, I believe that is the 15th or 16th, I will be in the Cincinnati, Ohio store up there uh, doing some filming and be part of their grand opening for sportsmen, so make sure you check that out. And we'll have that. Um, we'll have some cool giveaways and stuff going on around that as well. So, uh, with that, a few other things, real quick. Uh, our condolences to uh, the Wood family. Nina Wood passes away at 90 years old. I believe it was her birthday that she passed away, or the day after. She just turned 90, and uh, she has gone home to be with uh, Forrest. Of course, Forrest and Nina Wood created or started ranger boats back in the day and uh, have been a fixture in this industry and for so many pros for so long uh we cannot uh, forget them so condolences uh, from us to to their family uh sweet 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 family they were they're amazing people and um force has been missed now for just over a year year and a half maybe and uh, nine i gone home to be with him and uh and the good lord and so we definitely Definitely praying for for the family there uh, and all of those Daffron family and others. So please keep those guys in your prayers. And the uh, if you're wondering why you didn't get a you pick them for the week uh, for this week, if you play, that's because well, not enough derbies on our calendar to play this week. And being Labor Day, it's understandable why. So we're going to hold off. We're going to have a uh, week one. We'll start next week. It will be the – it'll come out on Labor Day the 5th, but we'll have a whole slate of uh, tournaments to make up for this past weekend. We'll have basically four weeks of playing for September, and we'll have a big week. Stay tuned for the end of the show. David will reveal who the August winner was 
for the U Pickums, for the fully loaded U Pickums. And uh, yeah, we'll be able to uh, talk about that a little bit. Speaking of which, this segment also brought to you by our friends at Fully Loaded Tobacco Free Chew. Find out more at fullyloadedchew.com. Finally, a tobacco alternative you will love, right? Uh, really great stuff. It comes with a money-back guarantee. They're so confident in their product that they're offering a 100% money-back guarantee. You got to believe it to see it. You got to try it to believe it. Some really, really great stuff. Um, you can try fully loaded risk-free with their money-back guarantee and use code ANGLERSCHANNEL25 to save 25% off your first order. That's ANGLERSCHANNEL25 save 25% off your first order. So with that, without further ado, I'm excited to welcome in our buddy, Mr. Spencer Sheffield, your 2022 Major League Fishing Pro Circuit title champ. Is that set in yet? I know it's been about, what, 10 days or so since the since the finals, since you won. But, I mean, is that set in, the title champ? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I guess you know. I mean, everybody's asked me about it. Has it has it hit yet? And like I've said every time, you know, I've just I just wanted to win a national tournament, a national event. That was my main thing that I wanted to do. Uh, there was two goals I've had in my career, and that was to win a national event and to win a championship. Being able to cross off both of those at once, it's like killing two birds with one stone, man. It just it feels really good. Uh, now I just I couldn't be more thankful for it that it that it worked out the way it did. Sure, sure. It's it's funny though because on the media side of things, we really can't have favorites. And I don't know that you and yeah. I ever met. We may have a long time ago at a FLW Cup or somewhere along the way, I'm sure. But to to watch the different events over the years, I've been in this business since 2002. So I, I've watched your dad. I've been around backstage and, and all the different events with him and now with you. And so, but to see your name consistently at the top but never in that first place, dude. I mean, you can't help but cheer for a guy like you um, because of your background and where you come from and, I mean, what you do. You, you really can't who you are. You really can't help but cheer for you. But, dude, I mean, it's been a tough nut to crack for you, you know, since 2007, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it has. I mean, <clears throat> you know, when I, when I started fishing car in 2007, I'd uh, – I don't think I ever really had any seconds. I had some top tens, uh, did good in the points every year, had a couple seconds in the points and, and, uh, never finished outside the top 10 that final year in 2012. I finally won Clanger of the year. And in 2011, I won uh, Fort Loud and Teleco on the tour, but that was on the Clanger side. Yeah, it was a national event, but it was still out of the back of the boat. Um, to win out of the front, you know, the first three years I did it, I, I went pro in 13. I fished 13, 14, and 15 out of the front. 
And I can look back and just see all the tournaments. I mean, when I say all, I, there was about five of them. I should have legitimately won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just it was like something always happened to keep me from winning. I, it, whether it was a, a hook breaking, uh, a snap coming open and the fish coming off and then jumping for 15 minutes trying to throw my bait uh, and only losing like table rock that happened. You know, I lost my seven ounces and lost the winning fish in that event over a course of four days, probably 10 times. Uh, just looking back at stuff like that, I'm like, darn, man. I mean, so close, so many times, never got it done. And then having to take off the four years I took off, finally coming back in 2020 was my first year back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I, going into this year, we changed the complete format to where it was accumulative weight for the first three days and then we zero and start over for the last day and it's basically a one-day shootout and i look back like in 2020 my first year back i would have won lake martin under that format last year last year i would have won smith lake under that format and it's like now this year I'll probably win the four day total, but I won't have the heaviest weight on the last day. And that'll keep me from winning. So it's like, I I was always expecting for the, you know, not necessarily the worst outcome, but I figured, well, it'd just be something else. Uh, But to get it done there on the St. Lawrence and to be the title championship, uh, man, I feel like now that I finally won, I I feel like now it'd come a lot easier. I, I don't know. I even feel that I haven't fished, uh, since since I've won, but I just feel different. I feel like I'm going to be different on the water now. Like I finally got the monkey off my back. I won a tournament, and now I feel like I can go out there and duplicate it a lot more. Well, if I remember right, I want to say I heard a uh, you know when you won. I want to say I heard you know you talk about just you know kind of everything falling into place. But you felt even on day one of that event from your group, you just, you kind of had a piece about you and kind of felt, felt good about the way things were, were going to go that week of the, of the title. Yeah, I did. You know, I mean, starting off right off the bat, it was one of them deals where it just, uh, it, it's really funny. I'm not a layup kind of guy. I'm the guy that always goes for it. No matter what, uh, I just, I don't like the term swinging for the fences. I think that's the most overrated, overused term in the in the world in the sport of bass. I, I don't like that term. I'm not a guy that's I'm going to say I'm going to go out and swing for the fences because I don't go out and fish for five pots. <laughs> I just don't. Right. But I do try and win every tournament I fish, and I go to where I think I need to go in order to do that. My style, you know, if I, I try and do it my way. Uh, so going into St. Lawrence, it was one of them deals like we're going out of Messina, which is in the, the far northern end of it. Mm-hmm. And I knew that you were going to have to run to the far southern end to win. You didn't have to run all the way down there to make the top 10. But I knew that that's where you were going to have to go to win it. Right. And so going into that tournament, I'm like, darn me, gas is going to be $6 a gallon on the water. <laughs> uh, I'm guaranteed 10 grand with no entry fee. It's one of them deals like last year, my worst tournament on the tour was at the St. Lawrence River. I went down there and busted 20 pounds the first day, but the second day I ran down and only caught two bass for like eight pounds. I mean, we only got four hours to fish. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. And if it, anything goes wrong, you're just, in trouble sure. for that day. And so it was one of them deals like, 
why I even burn all the gas? It's going to cost me probably seven or $800 in gas in this event to run all the way down there. I'm just going to stay right there around takeoff. I've never fished up there. I know there's been a lot of biggins released up there. Surely I can figure out a way to catch 20 pounds a day up there, and I can wrap up the season with a possible top 10 and say, hey, another good event. Let's get ready for next year, the Bass Pro Tour. Here we come, you know, especially since I qualified for it, too, going, knowing going into the championship, I knew I'd already qualified for the Bass Pro Tour, so really all the pressure was off. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'm just going to make the most out of my 10 grand and take it home and get ready for next year, but Lee, I, that was my thought process the week before. I had a good Toyota Series on Champlain, finished third. So I had the momentum going. I'm like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and go for it. Why would, why would I lay up and try and sure. just stay up around takeoff? I know I can't win doing that. So I went ahead and launched at Clayton first day of practice, had a decent day of practice, had that 22 to 24-pound range just fishing. Uh, and the second day, I thought, well – I kind of figured out some stuff down on the lower end where I feel like you're going to have to go to win, but I need to probably go up around takeoff and fish some stuff just to see if I can figure something out. And I was on my way up there. I was probably about 25 miles into the trip, and it was just like I had that feeling like you've got to go back down there to Clayton. What are you doing? You know you can't win it up there around Messina, so why would you go up there? And I literally turned around drove 20 miles back to Clayton, put in and found this, that group of fish I ended up winning the tournament off of. So when I, when that happened, I literally, from that point on, I was, I really felt like, Hey, this, this seems to be working. I've made good decisions in practice and it seemed to pay off. I knew I'd found a good area and I just felt very confident in what I'd found, you know, and, and it was just one of them deals. I just, I've always kind of felt in every tournament that I felt like I had a shot. I still had that feeling, you know, something's probably not going to work out. Something's going to (laughs) happen or or something like that. But this tournament, I never really felt that. I never felt it. I just felt from the get go that, Hey, this, this is going to be the one. Well, I think what's what I find interesting too is you you won your group right, Group A. You ended up winning that, so yes, you got an extra day off. And you know, we look back. We talk about this on the show uh, quite a bit, but we look back over the over the BPT event, so to speak. No, not so much P- pro circuit, but look back over the BPT events. And most of the guys that win their group every now and again, you know, they'll they'll do well in the championship round. And they'll win. But it's not always the case. It's not. It's not a not a shoe in, not a layup by any means, because it is a it is a final day shootout, for, so to speak. But I mean, that was a that was a big deal. I mean, you were very consistent with your weights, and how key was that that day off for you? That extra day off, really, uh, not having to fish the, the knockout round as well. I don't. I don't. You know, I've been asked that a lot too, and I don't think that affected anything, honestly. Um, I usually always fish them off days. Just so happened my wife, she she traveled with me this year, so I didn't. I only fished a couple of my off days this year, um, and I, I only fished one of my off days at the championship, and it was my off day between my first day and second day of competition. Right. Uh, the first day I, I did, I, I laid up. I went down there. I caught my twenty-one-five fairly quick. Had it caught by 10, 10, 30, and yes, I tried to continue to catch fish, but not off spots. I know I could catch them. I went just fishing, mm-hmm. never upgraded any, just wanted to kind of see where that 21.5 put me. Uh, so the second day after I caught a 
those two five pounders, I was like, okay, it's time to really go for it. And that's what got me up to that 23-3. The reason I say I don't think the off day would have mattered is because of the fact, I mean, for one, I I believe when it's your time, when it's meant to be, when God finally shines his light on you and says, hey, you're winning this one, you're going to win it, nothing can stop it. But there are things that are crucial in, in order to make it happen. The, the only difference is on this deal is I had an area that had a lot of fish, a lot of big fish, didn't realize it until that second day of my competition. But even after the tournament, the day I won, we did that day five with, uh, with Jody. Uh, talk, you know, going to that area and explaining. I mean, we were down there probably for maybe 45 minutes and between me and him just jacking around, not even trying to catch him because we're sitting there talking. We had five that weigh like 24 and we only <laughs> fished two little spots. So I'm, I, and I remember like the first one I caught was a five pounder. The second one I caught was a five and a half. And I'm like, dang, where were y'all yesterday? You know, right. But, it was just one of them places, one of them areas where it just reloaded because there was so many fish in that area. And so I, I honestly believe had I had a fish to knock out round, I would have went down there and probably caught another 21, 22 pretty easily. And then championship round, I would have caught, you know, what I caught or even more again. So, uh, but it was nice having two days in a row off. Me and my wife got to go to Niagara Falls. Uh, never seen it. She had never seen it. So it was really <laughs> cool to go spend two days doing that. And, uh, just kind of forgetting about the the tournament and what was going on. Of course, it was in the back of my head the whole time, but sure. uh, it was nice just to have some relaxation and get prepared for that final day. So let's let's step back a little bit to 2007, straight from <coughs> co-angler, um, fishing out of the back of the boat. You fished what, from 2007, 2012 out of the back of the boat. And what did you learn? I mean, what's some of the biggest things that, that you took away from being a co-angler? I mean, you won one as a co-angler, and that's hard to do. Um, but, I mean, what's some of the things that, that you learned being a co-angler that prepared you for 2013 when you moved to front of the boat? Well, in a sense, I was pretty much a co-angler my entire life it seemed like growing up with a father that did it full time i mean right. when i fished by yeah. fished with him i was always fishing behind him so you had to be good in order to just catch fish behind him it wasn't like he was a subpar fisherman i mean he was he did it for a living and was great at it so i had to learn how to catch fish behind him behind him to begin with but what i learned was the different types of fishing you know my dad was pretty one-dimensional it was either a jig or a spinnerbait or rattle trap growing up top water here and there that was it he didn't throw jerk baits he didn't throw spinning rods uh (laughs) you know he was pretty much a flipping pitching kind of guy or going down a bank throwing a spinnerbait or something like that i mean that's pretty much how he fished so getting to fish with a big variety of different uh fishermen different skill levels i fished with some guys that weren't very good i fished with some guys that were just off the charts good uh seeing them go through a course of a day their movements uh and i would ask guys when i was fishing with them you know what do you got what are you thinking about right now you know what what's going to be your next move i mean how's the day went so far compared to how you expected it to go uh do you have a backup plan um you know things like that uh, if they caught a big bag pretty quick, do you think you can do it again tomorrow? Are you saving a lot of stuff? Just just kind of getting a gist of what was going through their head while they were doing what they were doing. Uh, 
what made me successful out of the back of the boat, though, was always doing something different. I wasn't a guy that my pro would pick up a, a, a Texas Creek big brush hog and all of a sudden just went to smoking them that I was going to immediately get down and tie on a big brush hog. I mean, I would throw something maybe similar to that, but something different, uh, a different technique uh, of some sort. Uh, you know, I had to get really good with finesse stuff out of the back of the boat, spinning tackle. Uh, I had to get really good at that because those guys were usually power fishing and, and the ones that wanted to bite were there to bite. Uh, they were going to bite what first thing to come through. I mean, like I always say, they were sitting there with their napkins on, you know, they were sure. ready to eat. Uh, so I had to learn how to catch the fish that weren't really wanting to bite. Um, they were kind of in that docile mood per se. So I got really good with spinning tackle, your drop shot, your shaky head, your wacky worm, eco reef, whatever little bitty finesse swim baits. I mean, that's what I had to get good doing with, with stuff like that. And uh, I drew some guys from the West Coast that was really good at doing that type of stuff, really paid attention to what they did and things like that. And then when I would come back home, I would get in my boat of my own and I would, you know, perfect that stuff my way sure. and uh, figure out my ways of fishing like that and, and just has completely fell head over heels in love with fishing that way. I mean, I tell people all the time, I would much rather catch a 30-pound bag of bass on a spinning rod than I would uh, flip and stick in 65-pound braid any day of the week. It's just so much more fun, so much more challenging, so much more rewarding to me to catch a big bag on a spinning rod. I just absolutely love catching them doing that. Did your dad own a spinning rod when he was a pro, when he was fishing full-time? <laughs> he did because uh, <laughs> that he, uh, spinning rods actually, were spinning rods were kind of taboo back in that day wasn't it yeah they were <laughs> but you know the fun the funny thing about all that is my dad actually roomed with a guy named fred bland we called him taco and as far as i know taco invented the shaky head he lived on logan martin down right. in alabama oh yeah he invented the shaky head. And so Dan knew all about the shaky head, but that wasn't his style of fishing. But he would throw it at occasion when, when the bite got tough. And, you know, I grew up on when Lake of Gray, to. which was full. Yeah, when it was full of grass and we did a lot of jig, big Texas rigging, stuff like that. That's how we fished. Slow on a big spinner bait out over the grass. But on my summer break in between my school years, he would take me out west into some lakes in Arkansas, just a little further west, you know, an hour or so, no grass, all rock, brush, stuff like that. And we'd throw shaky head and just catch so many bass. People had never seen a shaky head. I mean, sure. there was so many 200 fish days we had. And so that just made me even more addicted to the spinning rod side of it is that, hey, we can come to these lakes with a shaky head and a spinning rod, lot line. And it's like you get about every other cast, yeah. you know, and it was just it made me more addicted to that side of the of the fishing aspect of it. Being able to throw a spinner, I just loved it. I mean, I was so intrigued by just catching them on spinning tackle. But as far as when it came down to Derby Day, whether it was local or it was on the road, Dad basically had one bait in his hand all the time, and that was a jig. I mean, that's just that's what you threw. You <laughs> threw a jig. Was there ever a uh... – was there ever a pro that you got paired up with that you're like, oh my gosh, this is this is pretty awesome? Any anybody you were kind of starstruck over? Uh, no, not really. Okay. I don't guess. I mean, maybe uh, you know, had I just got into fishing, probably a lot, but 
considering the fact that I'd grew up with a father that was in, in that all the time, going oh, yeah. to all the Bassmasters classics, always seeing the KVD, the Rick Clun, George Cocker, you know, a lot of them guys living here in my own town and dad hung out with them. We played golf with them, whatever, always being around them guys. They were just normal guys to me. It was nothing special. Some of them were just, some of them were better with a rod and reel in their hand than others. Sure. Uh, so there wasn't ever really anybody I can say that I drew that I was like, Oh my God. That, uh, Dave Lefebvre was probably the one guy I drew that I was the most uh, impressed with. And it was just his ability to cast and, and pitch a bay, like around boat docks or wood or grass. I mean, the guy just always just so fluent, fluently and just effortlessly would reel a bait in and left-handedly just – pitch a bait right where he wanted to. And I mean, it never even made a ripple on the water. I'm like, did you bait even hit the water? I mean, you see his line going in, but you never saw <laughs> any kind of a ripple on that. I mean, I was just really impressed with his, his pitching and flipping skills uh, and casting skills as well. Sidearm casting from his left side and, and things like that. That was probably, and, and I dream, think twice, but I dream at Champlain once we both made the top 10 together and we were in the same place, like fifth place, uh, you know, and he pitched and flipped a lot there, fishing docks, and then I dream at Oak Chip. He never caught him at all either day i mean both days were horrible days for him. i think he had like nine pounds at okeechobee and only like 12 at champlain but his casting was unbelievable like it was so good and uh never made a bad cast hardly ever you know and i was really impressed with that you know that's uh yeah that's that's cool i mean i just think you know for for guys listening i know a lot's changed uh over the years you know and you know being a co-angler was always a, a big, big deal. Of course, they're not prevalent anymore on, on the pro circuit or on the elites or anybody like that. But, you know, guys ask me all the time, especially young fishermen, you know, you know, is it worth being a co on a Toyota series? And I think it is. I think you learn a lot about being in the front of the boat uh, by starting out in the back. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look and a lot of the guys that just came out right out the gates at 20, 22, 24, whatever, and went straight to the front. Yeah. They're a lot slower bloomers. Uh, the guys that did it as a co-angler first, they come right out the gate biting heads off. Sure. You know, I mean, it was just a, it was a big difference. You, you had a big learning curve, and it's not like them guys are going out there, oh, I know where so-and-so caught them when I dream that time, or this guy – it's not like that. It's just you've learned a lot of different varieties of fishing, and you get to put that to use on the water when you're out there doing your own thing, and it and it just makes a big difference. It's not you're not just using what you've learned from guys around your hometown or that you grew up fishing with. You're learning stuff from guys all across the country yeah. that you're getting to put to use, and and there's a lot of different varieties of fishing out there. Yeah, it is, and it's um, I mean it's impressive, and you know time on the water you can't you. Can't can't change exchange that for anything for uh, you know at no, all not sport. at all so so yeah. 20 what 22 12 on the final day uh in the title was there ever a moment in that day where you thought dude i got this this is this is it i'm gonna win this thing 
No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, had I had I got to that twenty four pound mark, knowing that the biggest bag caught, I think in that event was twenty four even or twenty four three or something like that. Had I ever got over that twenty four pound mark, then yeah, I would have been like, had I ever got the twenty five pounds, I would have I would have said on camera, game over, done deal, hang sure. them up. We've got it. But at 22, I knew I had over 22 and a half. I knew I had like 22, 9, 22, uh, I knew that's what I had. I knew that I had set myself up for a shot. I knew that if I had under 22, there was no way I was going to be able to win. But I knew once I got over that 22 pound mark, there was a high probability. Like there was like a 60%, 60 to 70% chance I was going to win. When I got over 22 and a half, I was like, okay, I'm like at 80% chance at this, you know, because I knew that it was being cloudy, rainy. It had been windy at a few times in point and that, in that day, it had been really windy. I knew that it was going to be a little tougher. I, I just didn't see somebody catching 24, but I knew it was possible. Sure. I knew what my area had was capable of producing and then seeing what it did produce. Uh, I, I, I could tell it was a little tougher as far as catching bigger fish. The numbers of fish was awesome. I mean, they were biting, but I had thrown it several bigger ones that you could just tell they, it wasn't right for them. And, uh, so I knew when I got over that 22 and a half, I was like, man, we've got a legit shot at this. You know, we, we've got a legit shot at this. I didn't actually know I had it one until I got to the tanks and was talking with Dakota and he, you know, he's got the exact same scales I have. And he told me, he said, man, mine showed me having like 2190. So we knew that was going to put him at like 22, two, 22, three. Sure. And my scale showed me at 2253. So I knew I had him at that point. Uh, I saw his fish too, you know, he had like a three and a half pounder and I had nothing under four. So at that point, yes, I knew I had it one. That was the longest one hour of my life <laughs> waiting to walk up on that stage. Um, so yeah, it was, I did not know I had it one officially until after he weighed his fish and they weighed 22 even. And he was the last guy to weigh in. Uh, I, I mean, Jacob Wall weighed in after him, but right. we, we knew what he had too. But when they called Dakota at 22 pounds, even, you know, he said 22, and then when he said even, I was like, oh, we got it, man. Game over, <laughs> you know. So it, it felt great walking up on that stage knowing it wasn't going to be one ounce the right way or the wrong way. It felt awesome walking up on that stage knowing that I was about to get to hoist that belt over my head, man. Sure, sure. The uh, Is that monkey off your back now, you think? Completely. Yes. I mean, completely. I feel like, I I mean, I just, it was so hard to win that first one. My dad always told me, he said, the first one is always the hardest one. So once you get that first one, he said, the rest of them come easy. And I've heard that so many times out here. I mean, you look at a guy like Michael Neal. I mean, it took him so long to win. And now he's won like three times since he won his first one or so, you know. And it's like, I feel like it's not hard to to do now like you i remember when i first went pro it was like man it's going to be so hard to make a top 10 and then i made my first top 10 i think it was like my third term in i'm like hey man this ain't hard at all now and i made like two more top 10s that year you know and then ever since then it's been like i just gotta win i just gotta win i get so close but it never happens like so close and it doesn't happen and then it's finally happened i feel like dude we can do this at a very regular basis now like i feel like I can win a lot now. I mean, whether I can or not, I might go another 14 years before I win again. I hope not. Right. But uh, I feel like now that I've finally done it, 
I can completely focus on just winning exclusively now, just winning as much as possible. And I feel like it would come a lot easier. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, qualified for the Bass Pro Tour um, with your third place finish in Angler of the Year this year. Um, Now, you got to fish a few of those back last year, right? Last year, yes, sir. Yeah. I fished uh, Sam Rayburn and I fished the Harris Chain Dude, you, Tour events. You you showed out in both of those, didn't you? I finished eleventh in both of them. Yeah, I missed the I missed the championship round at Sam Rayburn by six ounces. Six ounces. I literally caught one. I was like, I, and I was in the top eight for most of the day, and then Bobby Lane knocked me out, and then I jumped back in. He knocked me out again, and I was like a pound eight back, and then I dropped to three pounds back, and on my last cast, I needed. I think it was a, a three pound even is what I needed to knock him out. And I caught like a two eleven. Yeah. and on my very last cast and I'm like, Oh my gosh, no, you didn't, you know, and it was a heartbreaker. And then I went down at the Harris chain and, and I, I don't think I lost any of that, that, that knockout round day to keep me out. But it's same way with it. I only missed the championship day by like two pounds, a pound, nine ounces or something. It, it was close. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I wanted to fish a championship round so bad, considering I'd qualified through the Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit, oh, yeah. and nobody had made a top 10 from there yet on the BPT. And, you know, you know your fishing skills are as good as those guys that's on that higher platform, but you feel like people kind of look down on you like, oh, you're just a pro circuit guy. You're not <laughs> – you can't catch them as good as these guys. So it's one of them deals like, well, I want to make championship day so I can prove to you I can. Sure. And getting that close and not doing it, it's like, dang, man, you know. But uh, I was still very pleased with both 11th place finishes in those, you know. I mean, next year I am now considered a Bass Pro Tour angler, so I don't have to feel that way now. I just get to go out there and have fun with it. Well, I guarantee, I mean, <laughs> with, with how you fished there last year, you you're definitely on a bunch of guys radars and i imagine there's going to be a few guys that they may forget about it but come that first event next year they're going to look over and see you sitting there and like oh crap i I forgot he was coming and uh i I think you're probably going to scare a few folks next year i don't know man i'm ready to get out there that's all i know (laughs) that that format is right right in my wheelhouse i mean every everything that i have practiced on cater to uh try to perfect in my fishing skill or fishing craft i guess you could say over the last 15 years has strictly catered to that kind of a format uh there's been so many times i've only got three or four hours to go out on the lake to fish because of kids and getting them back and forth to school i'm not a guy that wants to go out and just catch two bass i want to go out and catch every bass that swims in the lake so i have always catered to the population the numbers of fish, how can I get the most bites possible in four hours? And so I've learned how to do that pretty consistently. Uh, just like the Jane Groover this year. Yeah, I finished 86 in the pro circuit event there. Mm-hmm. I had like 13 pounds the first day and 11 the second. But I feel like had that been a Bass Pro Tour event, it would have been a 1-8 minimum. And I literally caught 60. 
50 to 60 bass a day that weighed 19 to 113. They were just all clones. And I just wasn't catching the three to four pound fish. I mean, I, I tried to catch some bigger ones. I just never did. I just caught so many of that pound and three quarter fish. I mean, it was so frustrating. But I look back and I'm like, man, had that been a Bass Pro Tour event, you would have probably <laughs> literally put so much gas on a fire call. I was cracking 100 pounds a day. I mean, I was. I just wasn't catching the right ones, you know. I was just catching, but in that format, doesn't matter. Whatever the minimum is, that's what you got to catch. And I feel like at the James River, it would have been a one eight. And uh, man, I caught so many of those. So well, I'm looking forward to it. I could not be more excited to get on the Bass Pro Tour. That is, like I said, that's totally my jam right there. Are you planning to fish both uh, BPT and Pro Circuit next year? Oh yeah, man. I I would fish four or five circuits if they didn't overlap and and interfere with each other. I wish I was fishing a tournament every week. You know, fifty two weeks out of the year, I I would like to have the week of Thanksgiving off and the week of Christmas <laughs> off. Other than that, I want to be on the water fishing for money. I mean, and that's just I love the competition. Uh, it doesn't have nothing to do with the money and the trophies. It's just I want to be out there competing. I mean, I don't know how to provide for my family any other way than catching a bass. And so it's like these next two weeks, just sitting here at the house, I'm like, I need to be on the water somewhere trying to cash a check. Sure. You know, and so it's 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 frustrating. It's boring. Uh, you know, I just I want to be on the water. I want to be out there doing what I love to do and the only thing I know how to do. Right, right. Well, 136 events fished, over $900,000 to your credit. Dude, that's a heck of a career so far, thus far. So, Yeah, I have no complaints, man. I've really been blessed. I really have, especially these last three years. These last three years have been phenomenal for me. It's just really uh, put in perspective of how much I took it for granted before and how appreciative I am to be back now and how I'd never take it for granted again. And every day out there on the water fishing for a living, is just such a blessing to me. Uh, it's definitely something I don't ever want to lose again. And, and I definitely want to be there for many, many more years to come. Well, one thing for certain, bud, you're always going to be a title champ. Don't ever take that away from you. And we're awful proud, uh, proud for you and uh, excited for you and your family. Man, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. No problem. Dude, uh, have a great off season, and we look forward to seeing you on the pro circuit and the BPT next year. And uh, like I said, we can't really have favorites, but know that you're on our fantasy fishing teams over here for sure. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate it. We're looking forward to it. That's for sure. Yes, sir. Well, get your girls cheer practice, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. We'll see you, man. Thank Thanks, you. Buddy. Yes, well, guys, there he is. Spencer Sheffield, your 2022 title champion all the way from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, good dude. Got a long story career uh, in, in this field from, uh, what, five, six, seven years as a, as a co-angler and then five years as a pro. Finally got that monkey off his back with a win. And, of course, doing that in the title championship is a big big deal take a quick little break when we come back i believe uh kenneth and david have got jay zakurit your Bassmaster elite series rookie of the year on the line they're going to talk to him and then uh who knows what else we'll get into uh more to come right here hang tight
With so many exclusive designs and processes, no other boat is built like Ranger. It's a dramatic difference that consistently raises the bar of excellence while delivering more features, more performance, and the best value. The Ranger Fisherman Series. From bow to stern, this is results-based engineering at its best. Still building legends, one at a time. Mercury, there are no limits to the lengths we'll go to make sure you have no limits either. Unlimited adrenaline. Unlimited fun. Unlimited weekend. Except maybe having to go home eventually. Introducing the all-new V8 Mercury Pro XS. Light, quick, efficient. Mercury, go boldly. Show is also brought to you by our friends at Revital Outdoors, reminding you to enjoy the outdoors comfortably. Premium CBD products that give you your competitive edge back. You've got a job to do. You're excited. You're up. You're prepared. Your intention is to have the best possible day on the water or in the field. You shouldn't have to struggle with joint, bone, or muscle aches. You shouldn't have to feel tired, groggy, and unrested. Have your old injuries limited your performance? Check out Revital Outdoors' line of CBD sports creams, their CBD gummies, and, of course, their CBD soft gels, everyday formula. I'm a believer. I'm a fan. I'm a user. I've been using them for uh, just over a couple of months now. THC-free, recommended by the pros, and, of course, a money-back guarantee. What do you got to lose? Revital Outdoors. RevitalOutdoors.com. Tell them the boys from Angler's Channel sent you. You won't be sorry. Welcome back, folks. This is brought to you by our friends at Vicious Fishing, reminding you to get out there and get vicious, right? Had a big sale last month. Did you get your 100% floral? If not, check them out at GetVicious.com. Get stocked up on your line, your floral, your mono, your bray, whatever you need. They got it. Check it out. They even got that new easy uh, easy rig deal with the um, going from braid to, to floral on your spinning rods, things like that. Check those deals out. Getvicious.com. You won't be sorry. Well, I'm going to step out of here, and I'm going to let my boys David and Kenneth come in and talk to our friend, your Bassmaster Rookie of the Year, Mr. Jay Zakurit. Your what your rookie year is wrapped up. You, you know, went through a lot of stuff this year, but tell us how being Elite Series Angler was like this year. Yeah, it was uh very challenging at times and at other times it was uh super relaxing and really fun. Um there was there was basically two opposite sides to it. Um, there was the fun side, like I said, and then the, the stressful side when, uh, when you're not catching them a few days, because when you're that far away from home and spending all that money and you're not catching them on the elite series, it's, uh, it can get a little bit stressful at times, but overall, overall, I'd say it was a lot more good than bad this year. So this year you had, you know, seven events where you made day three cuts. Uh, obviously one of those being a win, you know, that's a, 78% you know, success rate with cutting a check. You know, did you think that right. your, your season would have played out this way you know, before heading out to that first event on the St. John's? 
I mean, there's always hopes of, I try to set pretty high goals, like cash a check in every tournament, win rookie of the year, do all that stuff. But, uh, the reality of it is, I mean, if you can just do half of what you set out to do, um, on the elite series, I mean, that's doing pretty well considering, I mean, cause these guys are the best in the world and for it to be my first year doing it, um, and to actually attain the goal that I set out for, um, was truly amazing because I did not think, um, coming into this year, obviously there's always that thought in the back of my mind. Um, but I didn't think, I thought if I could do, um, you know, just a handful of checks, um, get some good experience down south, that it would be a successful year. So I'm beyond, beyond what I did this year. So, you know, tell us about, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, you, know, you bought that win, but um, I don't know if some of our listeners uh, listen to my follow-up uh, rookie podcast with you at ICAST here, but uh, tell us about the St. Lawrence event, because that was, I'm pretty sure that was one of the more unexpected ones. Not that you weren't, you wouldn't take a win, but, you know, being your rookie year, you would probably be like, uh, if I get one, it'd be great. But tell us about that St. Lawrence event. Yeah, I mean, that St. Lawrence event was uh truly a special event for me. I mean, I didn't have anything go wrong. Um, maybe one or two lost fish in that event. Um, and to be able to catch what I caught in that tournament over a hundred pounds of small moths in four days. Um, I mean, my success rate and landing rate in that tournament was phenomenal. And, uh, it all, I go back to things happening for a reason and that tournament, I just think everything just happened for a reason because, um, when you're pulling in that many big fish in one day, um, I mean, you're going to have lost fish, you're going to have things like that, but for everything to go as smoothly as it did and for all my areas to hold my fish for multiple days and have no pr- other bow pressure in the areas is almost, almost on, you know, I mean, there's not many times where that happens in a, in a big scene tournament like that. So that's kind of how that tournament shook out and uh, yeah, fortunate enough to take the win in that tournament. Pretty crazy. Yeah, that was, I think, what, tournament number five or six on the stop there. But did you think that, you know, it was going to happen that early? Did you feel that, like, you know, like, I guess you, that, that, you know, the timing felt right? Or, you know, did it just, for some reason, just everything aligned up in in the galaxy and the space and space-time continuum that... Right. I mean, I thought there was a chance after the first day with me being in second place. Um but I still knew, I mean, the tournament wasn't even halfway over at that point. So, um, once I was leading after day two, then it was like, okay, like I have a legit shot at actually pulling this win off. Um, now thinking that, but I also had the back of my mind, you know, we're only halfway over with this tournament. I still got to put together two, um, you know, 25 pound bags to win again. And I mean, it, yeah, after the third day, when everything went right again, that's when I thought, um, I had a legit shot because I only had one more day facing me and I knew the fish that had potential that were still in my areas. I just had to put them in the boat. Um, that's when I realized that I could win a tournament my first year, which at the time was kind of out of reach. Um, going into the year, I mean, I had some pretty good finishes. I think my best one up to that point was, a 14th. So, you know, I was close to that top 10, but in reality, I just wanted to make a top 10 to start out. And then if a win would come, I didn't know if it would come this year or two or three years down the road. 
So going you know, with, with that St. Lawrence event, I know that people thinking that, you know, you're a uh, Northern guy that you uh, should automatically be good at smallmouth, but, um, but I know you fished the, uh, you know, Sturgeon Bay. There's a lot of uh, decent mm-hmm. um, smallmouth fisheries within, you know, a few hours of drive of where you're at there. But did, did that, you know, is it, was it a smallmouth is a smallmouth regardless of where it was, or how did this event and your experience with smallmouth play out? You know, did, did it help you with, um, doing well at the, on the St. Lawrence? Yeah, it sure did. Um, fishing Sturgeon Bay and the surrounding lakes, like you mentioned, were a huge part of what I did there. Now I had never been to Lake Ontario or the St. Lawrence prior, but a lot of the great lakes, you know, around me or you travel up, you know, to the Northeast. I mean, a lot of those great lakes fisheries set up the same, they have the same kind of bait fish, the same kind of structure on the lakes. Um, all the current works the same way as with the wind and everything like that. And, uh, yeah, I just, I really felt at home there and it was big enough to where I could spread out and get away from some people on the lake and kind of find my own little deal out there. And, uh, yeah, I I credit to my success quite a bit to, uh, having some great lakes experience around, around me. And so obviously with that one, you know, you take the wind there, um, then you know uh, there was a, a decent couple of week breaks there. And then you go to Oahe. Um, was that you know? It seemed like people had you pegged, you know, for that one as well because you yeah. know of your dad of your dad's experience there. But did that really, you know, was that experience? Because you know you didn't fish with them, but yeah, it's walleye versus bass. But having you know have your dad having history there, having seen the fishery in the past, did that help you all at all with Oahe? I mean, it, it might have helped me a little bit. Um, not a whole lot. I mean, a lot of people don't really know. I hadn't really gone over there um, prior to, you know, this announcement of this tournament out there. I mean, I was so young when he was fishing Oahe. Like, I wouldn't go with him, and he was obviously fishing for walleye. So there was a whole different uh, misconception there. I did get over there, and I got the pre-practice, so I got some prior knowledge, and uh, I kind of learned how the fishery acts. That's a whole different deal over there. Um with the smallmouth, I mean, they act completely different than a Great Lakes smallmouth does just because they feed on herring or herring rather than, uh, you know, gobies and crayfish and stuff like that. So those ones are a little bit different. They act a little bit more like a spotted bass in my opinion, but, uh, it was, it was a good event. And then, you know, we, you know, you finish it you know, this year off with the uh, last event, which is on the Mississippi River, on um, uh, around the Lacrosse area. There, you know, how many times have you fished that area? Because I mean, I'm on the opposite side of, of Wisconsin. I don't really have much history there at all. And you're not, you're a little bit closer, I guess you could say. But you know, did you have much history fishing that upper, yeah, that stretch of the Upper Mississippi? I have. I've had uh, a couple prior tournaments out there in recent years. Um, a couple actually that time of the year as well. So I'd had, you know, some knowledge I'd probably spent, um, summers around a week or two of my life on the Mississippi river. So, I mean, I have some decent knowledge out there and that's honestly fishing those kind of rivers is that's what I grew up doing. I grew up on the Wisconsin river fishing current for small mouse and large mouse. And, uh, um, that's how I cut my teeth and that's kind of how I like to figure out fisheries is with the whole current dynamic and getting into these shallow backwaters and finding these little ditches and current seams that these fish load up in. Um, so yeah, I, I can credit to some knowledge, 
of having on the Mississippi River, but this Mississippi River this time around was way different. Um, we had super low water scenario, and uh, a lot of the stuff that I had found the year prior when I fished a tournament there was was pretty dry. I mean, most of it was out of the water, and uh, I kind of had to move around and find some new areas. And fortunately enough, I did find two areas that were that were pretty loaded up in practice, and uh, I ended up having one of those areas to myself. And I think for three days of the term, and I loaded the boat out of those areas pretty quick. But uh, you know, I came up a little short of a top ten. I think just three or four ounces. But uh, that's how tight the weights were out there with with how big the fish were running. But I just I had one kicker bite in the entire tournament. You know, a four plus pound bite, and then uh, some nice three three and a halves I had each day. And uh, but just never ran into ran into one of those mega bags out there that week. So you talked about having some history in the past. It did. How much does that come into play with the strategizing for this event? Because I know with some of the other uh, lakes or stops on the yeah. series, you you have never been there at all. So how did having, like I said, having experience at least with this event, uh, having some personal knowledge, how did that come into play with strategizing for uh, this final event? Yeah, so my strategy going into that final event was to kind of play it safe more because um, that was where I could seal up the deal on Rookie of the Year. I just needed a 67th place finisher better. So I decided to stay in the pool that we fished out of, which was pool eight. Um, I didn't want to take the risk of blocking through with barge traffic or anything and minimize my fishing time. Um, and most of my knowledge prior was on pool eight. So that's kind of where I cut my teeth is on eight. And uh, yeah, being able to do that and just, I won't want to say playing it too safe, but playing it safe enough where, you know, obviously I had the chance to seal up my classic spot and win rookie of the year at the same time. Um, that's kind of how my strategy went into fishing the river was to just dedicate my time to pool aid, stay close and, you know, just put together a solid limit, maybe not, you know, go crazy and go for the win in that event. Now, yeah, like he said, you barely missed the, what, the top tw- 10 by just a few ounces, I believe there. But, yeah, yeah. but how did it, you know, because you're, you're in your home state, you know, you got family there. How did it feel sealing rookie of the year in front of family and in front of, of the, of, I guess you could say, a local crowd? Oh, yeah, that was awesome. I had so many fans there. It was unbelievable. I mean, the amount of people I had come up to me afterwards after I won rookie of the year and just walking around the stands, it seemed like I was the last person to weigh in when I got the trophy. And uh, wow, it was, it was incredible the amount of support i had there it seemed like everybody in the crowd was cheering and the crowd was huge at the at the baseball park over there so that was that was a pretty special moment so you know we talk about rookie of the year you know this year you know again you know you mentioned you know rookie of the year was a uh, was a goal of yours but you know there was a lot of pretty stiff competition uh this year as well uh you know talk to us about you know the the guys that you went up against uh, uh for rookie of the year this year Oh yeah. So, um, mentioned off a couple of them, Cody Huff, who was right behind me, he had a phenomenal year as well. I mean, he kept the pressure on me pretty much, uh, most of the year towards the end of the half of the year. I mean, after we got down South and he started kicking my butt down there, um, and a couple of them summertime tournaments offshore, um, I definitely had to step my game up. I mean, there was no slipping up the rest of the year. I mean, if I would have slept up in one tournament, he would have, he would have took that spot. So, um, you know, and then going down the list with Jacob Fouts and a handful of others, I mean, they, they kept on the gas all year too. And 
fortunately enough, you know, at the end, I, I had a, a few fortunately good finishes and uh, came out on top. But yeah, if I would have had one or two slip ups, I mean, them guys would have taken over real quick. No, I, no, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe uh, if, if it's still accurate, you, your uh, road partner, your room partner was uh, Alex Ribbon, a fellow rookie. Am I correct? Yep. So how yep, did that, how, how did that dynamic work with you too? Cause I know that, um, you know, he had a decent year, but obviously I'm pretty sure he wished he had some of the success you had this year, but how did that, you know, the relationship work with you two when it came to whether it was, you know, traveling or preparing for events and stuff like that? Yeah, that was an awesome relationship between us this year. Um, I mean, we reached out to each other at the beginning of the year. We didn't even know each other. We were just the same age and getting into the same deal. So we hooked up in a room together, and we could feed off of each other. I mean, when he was having a decent tournament and I wasn't, you know, it was like vice versa. We could just feed off each other's success. And uh, I think it really worked out good for us because we got to see both ends of the spectrum um, in the tournament scene. And, you know, we got around, I mean, we're starting to get a lot more comfortable with each other now where, um, you know, we can feed off each other on a little bit of information on the bodies of water and kind of, you know, what we're doing, what we're figuring out out there. Um, I think it's really working out well so far. And I'm really glad that, uh, that I get to travel around with them on the elites. Now, did you guys find that you're, cause I believe, I, forget, I think he's from Ohio, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm not correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So did you find that, you know, your, your styles were completely different uh, with the fishers you guys both uh, experienced? Uh, honestly, I'd say our styles are pretty similar, really. Um, he gets up North and fishes for smallmouth just as much as I do. And then he grew up on the Ohio river and I grew up on the Wisconsin river. So <laughs> there's kind of like, we cut our, we cut our teeth on two different rivers. Maybe his has obviously not as many fish as mine, but, uh, other than that, I mean, we kind of grew up similar, um, fishing for smallies for fun and then cutting our teeth on a river system. So, you know, you know, I guess, you know, we are talking about, you know, fellow Northerners and uh, upper Midwest people, but, uh, you know, we got a bunch of guys from, you know, Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin here, Minnesota, you know, Pat Schlopper, Caleb, you know, Seth, mm -hmm. did, did you rely on any of those guys or go to, to any of those guys for advice when it came down to you, whether it's fishing or preparing for the, uh, the, this particular season? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I talked to them and kind of wanted to see what I was getting myself into and, kind of how the whole deal work, you know, how you can go about um, talking to these guys and not necessarily the catching fish portion of the whole tournament scene, but just the, the other side of it. I mean, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, obviously a lot of expenses and, and then obviously what you're getting into when you fish the series, I mean, just the whole go around and kind of what you need to do, how you need to prepare and stuff like that. So yeah, they definitely helped me out a ton when it came to that part, portion of it. Hey, I, I, I want to kind of go back to the beginning of the season, or maybe even a little bit before the season started. You know, a, a lot of the guys coming into the Elite Series, whether they're rookies or even guys that's been there for, for several years, really struggle with trying to figure out the particular nuances in some of these, you know, different bodies of water. And, and I know you were thrown into several that you weren't familiar with. So what did you do to prepare for some of the lakes that you uh, weren't necessarily very familiar with? I'm sure early in the season, there was a lot of it, but what, what sure, did you do yeah. mentally or, or how did you prepare for that? 
Yeah, that was probably the biggest, the most daunting thing of the whole year was going to all these places, like you said, that you've never been to. I mean, you got to prepare for them. Um, the biggest thing I would do um, would be a lot of online research. I mean, nowadays we have um, a lot of resources out there, whether it's recent tournament history on these bodies of water or just map study in general. Um, so I'll do as much of that as I can. But you can really only do so much of that. Um, sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. Um, when you really get on the waters, when you really start to realize what you're getting into. So what I would do was break the lake down into two or three zones that I thought I was going to fish. So if it was a 50 mile lake, I might only fish 20 miles of a certain section of the lake. And based on whether I had a good practice in one section or a good practice in the other, um, we'd only have three days of practice. So on the third day of practice, I would go back to whatever section I had a better day in and try and pick that section apart a little bit better. Um, that would be kind of how I'd go about my practice period and just preparing to fish a place that I never have in the past. And also, you know, that's relevant on time of the year as well. Um, if we're there in the springtime, obviously the fish are going to be spawning. I'm going to be looking shallower. If it's getting into the summer, I'm going to try and look offshore in certain areas. So that's based on how I pick my zones is, um, what time of year, what phase the fish are in at that time. And then that's how I go from there. Okay, you kind of you kind of answered my second question in the explanation of that too. I was going to have you break down how you actually uh, attack your practice. But yeah, <laughs> you you pretty well covered that there. You know, you, you, I, I mean, you obviously had a great season. You won rookie, rookie of the year. It's not an easy thing to do, and uh, you know, historically, we've seen guys that do that seem to have longevity on the you know elite series. What do you think you've learned about yourself in going through the, your first year? I don't know. What I've learned about myself is that, um, I don't know, I guess the biggest thing would be, um, that I have more confidence than I thought I had, um, starting out this year. Now I started, when I started out this year, I mean, I was nervous as heck for my first term and don't get me wrong. I mean, that first night before the St. John's, I mean, I was, I was shaking pretty bad. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen. First turn, first elite series turn in my life. Um, you know, all these big names around me. And then once I got kind of got settled in, um, the biggest thing I took from this year is just how much confidence I've gained in myself. Um, being able to kind of ignore all the doc talk and all the people, you know, that are doing certain things and just kind of focus on what I found and what I'm doing. Because um, at the end of the day, I mean, you're fishing against the fish. You're not fishing against the other anglers. And uh, that would have to be the number one thing that I took took from this year was the amount of confidence that I didn't think I had. And now I kind of know I have um, going into next season. You know, I, I think that that thought process is kind of proven, uh, you know, basically every tournament you look at the top five, top 10 guys. And a lot of cases they're doing different things or fishing different areas of the lake. So right. yeah. it's not just one thing, every tournament that has the ability to win a tournament there's multiple things mm -hmm. so being able to do what you do really well is kind of what sets you apart yeah exactly so i guess, you know, I guess to kind of piggyback off of that you know with the question of of, of you jay there how different is jay shakur now 
besides the two trophies that you got this year, but how different <laughs> are you now compared to the beginning uh, his, of this his year? His bank account's better. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah right. I would have to say I'm a, I'm a little bit more relaxed than I was, um, obviously, at the first term of the season. Um, because, I mean, let's face it, I mean, say I didn't have a good year. Say I didn't have a good year financially and I didn't have a good year in points. I mean, I'd be shaking in my boots for next year, just trying to qualify back for the elite series. Um, I mean, there's a lot of guys that are on the verge of getting caught out. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy how this deal works. So just a lot of personal pressure off myself, um, to perform. I mean, whether or not, you know, I hook that four pounder and it happens to come off. Um, I don't have to live and die by that at this moment right now would have to be the biggest thing I would say um, is kind of how I've, how I've changed a little bit through this year. Looking at just a few more things about 2022, what was, I guess, the, the hardest and the least hardest? Cause I'm not saying they're going to be easy, but what were the <laughs> hardest, what, what, what was the hardest and the least hardest event for you this year, whether it's for, whether it's preparation, just dealing with whatever elements that you had to deal with. What were those two yeah. events? I would have to say the hardest event that I fished this year, it would have to be the, oh man, probably the Lake Fork event was the hardest one for me. Um, I got caught up in some pretty bad winds in the tournament and uh, it kind of blew out a lot of my areas. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with how small that lake fish is and, uh, I just never did get on anything good and it was just a struggle to get around and, and fish productive water for me. And th that was the biggest struggle event of the year. And then, um, the easiest event of the year for me, I would have to say, um, was the St. Lawrence just because, um, the weather we had was so perfect. I mean, I could run out to the lake wide open throttle the entire way there and get to my fish. There was no worries about, um, if I could get there, if I couldn't, and, uh, I knew the fish weren't going to leave. Um, that was another thing. That was another stressor that I didn't have to worry about. And, uh, I guess the only thing I wouldn't say it was obviously easy out there, but, um, it was one of the easier events just to fish, um, weather wise, and then not to worry about your fish leaving, um, in that aspect. You know, to kind of piggyback off that, you know, we see and hear, you know, the, the tournament action and what happens in the tournament and the successes. And it just seems when things go well, it's so easy. But a lot of what we don't hear about, which is which is a big part of of what you guys do is the traveling from event to event or from home to event or back to home. Did you have any, um, you know, breakdowns or strange things that's happened during your travels that kind of kind of made it difficult at any point i sure did yeah this year i had some some unfortunate things happen you know i had i had a trailer go out on me some hubs and uh some misfortunate things i had got stranded once down in nashville and uh yeah i mean there was times where uh you know you're coming home from a decent finish and something like that happens and it's like well, I'm glad it happened now and it didn't happen, you know, prior to the event or getting to an event. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I did have some things happen to me this year, but uh, I guess I didn't let them, let them affect me too bad because that's just things that are a little, you know, they're just out of your control. 
Um, just to kind of like, I guess, uh, looking at this year, again, just another question about that, but, you know, which one was the bigger surprise to you? Uh, winning that blue trophy or actually, you know, accomplishing that rookie of the year goal that you had? I would have to say the blue trophy for sure. Um, the rookie of the year was my goal. I never had a goal to um, win a tournament this year, which I probably should have looking back on it. But uh, I would have to say getting that win was was pretty remarkable for personally for me. So some I know some viewers or listeners may not know this, but some may do. But you know, your dad is a professional angler, a professional walleye angler. But you know, did, did your dad help you or help out much when it came to like, you know, especially at the beginning of the year, but I'm pretty sure now that you uh, with a top 10 finish classic qualification and rookie of the year, that's going to increase more. But did your dad uh, help out much when it came to dealing with sponsors, media, other stuff that, you know, that comes with being a professional angler? I mean, he helped. The only thing that kind of helped me out through him was having, um, he taught me the whole mental side of fishing. So when it came to, um, learning electronics, you know, being on the water, being confident on the water, things like that. Um, when it came to the whole financial side of things and getting some sponsors, yeah, he helped me get, you know, a couple sponsors, obviously, um, having connections through the fishing industry is huge. But when it came to the whole financial side of things, I mean, I did all that on my own. I mean, I, I qualified for the Bassmaster Elite Series out of an 18-foot bass boat. You know, I paid my way in. I did it the hard way. Um, did all that the hard way. I mean, he he doesn't have much knowledge at all with bass fishing and fishing in the South and things like that. So um, when it came to that side of things, um, I kind of had to take take my own approach on that and take it into my own hands. So, um, But when it came back to like I said, the mental side of things, um, having the confidence to do it and then also being able to watch him do it, you know, through his tour, um, firsthand was, was huge because I got to see the good tournaments obviously. And I got to see all the bad tournaments and when he'd come home and, you know, he'd make no money in a tournament. Um, so yeah, going back on your point, I've, I've seen both sides. So, you know, you know, sticking with the theme about your dad, you know, there's, you know, stories that, you know, when you guys would fun fish, it's bass fishing that you guys would, or bass that you guys would target. But uh, my question to you about that is, out of the both of you, who's the better walleye angler than out of the both of you as well? Who's the better bass angler? I can't catch. He is the only one that can catch the walleyes. I, <laughs> I suck at catching walleyes. And uh, if they just get away the bass fishing. Yeah, yeah, right. We'll just do we'll just do one for the other. I'll I'll take the bass. I'll take the walleye. <laughs> and then last question is, uh, you know, for some people, uh, the next season starts the day after the current one ends. So, you know, we don't, we know the twenty twenty three schedule is not out yet, but have you already started to think about what you're gonna do or any changes that you're gonna implement for twenty twenty three? Oh, for sure. I mean, I've already started thinking about where they're gonna go and. Uh, how it's going to shake out. I'm just excited to see where the schedule is and uh, looking forward to the first event of the year and then going through, you know, everything this winter to get everything ready for, uh, for next year. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Jake. And congratulations. Uh, like, you know, when I saw you over at, uh, 
in lacrosse there. I was, you know, I'm pretty sure you know, it was, it was not, it wasn't fully wrapped up, but, you know, just seeing that you, know, you accomplished that yeah. dream and a fellow Wisconsin guy doing it. Uh, it was very nice to see that, you know, again, you know, we're, people are hopefully starting to put a bit more respect on uh, Northern guys <laughs> being able to catch fish anywhere we go across this country. But uh, congratulations right. again. Uh, you know, you. I know you got a couple months to rest up and it's going to kick back in by the time you know it. So, but thanks for coming on this right. week's show and uh, be safe out there and good luck next year. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. So there you guys have it. The, 2022 Bassmaster Rookie of the Year, Mr. Jay Shakurit. I know his last name might look a bit uh, confusing when it comes to pronouncing it, but uh, there you go. Uh, KG, were you surprised that a Wisconsin guy was a guy who ended up being uh, the guy who pretty much led the majority of that Rookie of the Year race? I'm really not surprised. And, and you know, obviously him winning the tournament St. Lawrence, that was a bit of a surprise. That, that's not easy. That, that wasn't an easy task to do. He was the only one that's caught over 100 pounds in smallmouth. He did a lot of things that no one else has ever done. Um, this, but but you can listen to this interview and every other interview I've heard from him. He's just calm, cool, level-headed. You know, I, I think that has a lot to do with him being able to have the success he's had this year. Especially for a young guy, like like I say, the young guys can't be you know common collector or cool like that. But uh, you would think that whether it's you know just lack of experience, not necessarily immaturity, but you know some of those you know uh, j- just being flustered a lot easier because of uh, you know we all know that fishing, especially professional fishing, is not easy, and it, you know all that traveling and stuff like that takes a toll. So uh, there's far more negative that happens in, you know, in fishing tournaments than positive. So being yeah. able to, to handle that, and not, not let it bog you down or really, you know, affect the ability to, to have negative moments is what hurts a lot of guys. And, and I think, you know, you could tell even from the interview we just had, you know, he's able to com- compartmentalize it and kind of, kind of get through it and not let it bog him down. All right, so with that, we'll take a break here for a short commercial break, and then I guess we'll get to wrap it up with, uh, you know, again, without Chris Bond, with just me and uh, KG here. So just sit back tight, and we'll come right back here. I feel like ISOCHILL definitely allows me to stay on the water longer. When you talk about 14 hour days of practice on the water, that's a long time. And most people are gonna come up with an excuse to get off. And I don't feel like I get that same fatigue and a lot of that benefit comes from what I'm wearing. Sun protection, breathability, comfort, ISOCHILL, honestly, it just helps me be more competitive and stay on the water longer. Sportsman's Warehouse is your one-stop, convenient place to shop. Whether you're into camping, hunting, or fishing, our expert associates can help you find the gear you need. We carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world. We have guns, ammo, rods, and lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmanswarehouse.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse. Shop one of over 60 locations. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, 
I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man. Join the Stray King team. All you gotta do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. Welcome back, folks, for the last segment brought to you by Under Armour. Make sure you check them out, underarmour.com, for uh, some of your uh, go-to fishing apparel. I know that some of the 2023 iCast stuff is starting to trickle in, like the slip-on kilchis and stuff like that, but definitely check them out, underarmour.com, for uh, your fishing. Or if not, with the colder weather, there might be some uh, some of that type of stuff out there, too. Yes. I, I don't know if it's finally started cooling off up there, but it's still warm down here. So that isochill still feels really good. You know, uh, it's the weather has been all over the place. Like, uh, like what was it? The Mississippi River. Um, they, they, you know, they're talking about it being low, but I think it was supposedly more normal pool. But um, it's it was like the eighties or something like that. But it's been raining, and, and like up here. We're, we haven't had much rain, so like a lot of places, especially around my area, that's been um, it hasn't been cold, but it's been I guess you could say cool. We had seventies, like and I guess the last few has been the eighties. But um, but you know, I, I, in a few weeks or a few days, I don't, like, I've been noticing that like at seven o'clock, seven thirty, it's getting dark. So it's it's great. It's time that to start pulling some of that stuff up. But I know you guys don't start pulling any of that long underwear stuff until like maybe December if you guys are uh, got well, a lot of warm blood. Yeah, you know, October is usually really good down here. There'll be times in November it might be a little bit cool. It, it gets, you know, <laughs> we, we never know from day to day what it's really going to be, but yeah, it's usually December or after before it gets consistent cold. So, and I saw something, I don't know if it was like the farmer's almanac or something the other day about like expect a way colder winter. I'm not sure if it's down by where you guys are at, but up here. So I'm like, Great. I mean, I don't mind the cold. I don't mind too much snow, but, uh, you know, again, for those that don't know, like, you know, obviously we get iced up, but then, you know, there's a, we have a, not really a season, but we do have a season where technically you can't, you know, cause I'm down there, you guys can have bass tournaments all year, but there's a short window where you can't target them because of the ice and uh, because of the catch and release season. So, but I, I'm, for me, as soon as that cold and the snow hits, I'm already ready for it to start getting warm so I can uh, use my bait cast instead of having to dip a line through a little hole. So, yeah, that, that's not any fun. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I guess, you know, if, for those that don't know, I know CB mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Mr. A Mr. Brandon Polonik winning the 2022 uh, Angler of the Year. Uh, was that a surprise for you? I mean, I know he had a good chunk of lead, but he did give up a quite a big, you know, a good gap that he had uh, going into Mississippi or to the lacrosse event. But were you surprised with him taking that win there? Well, you know, it's it's funny you ask that. The three of us had a few text messages going going back and forth this past week about that, and that kind of got brought up. And I really felt after he stumbled a little bit in the tournament before, I thought, I thought, man, that's all he needed. He's, I thought he's all in. He still had what a 37 point lead. Mm -hmm. So it, it was still, he was still in his hands to kind of put himself in a position where someone could not beat him. And I really thought Brandon would do that. So I felt pretty confident that he would, he would make it happen. Well, what was it? Not knowing, because I know there's all these like, you know, uh, tiebreakers and stuff that goes into it, but, uh, because obviously the two guys that were tailing him that had really good showings on the Mississippi River, uh, you know, Chris Johnston and Brandon Lester, um, you know, they were running him down pretty good. And I, I don't know 
for sure if Brandon really, really knew how big the gap was besides people just saying, oh, you know, saying, oh, you're, you're, you're falling in the standings. But I don't know if you actually have a full grasp about uh, you. There's no doubt he knew it. I mean, he, he talked on stage, you know, it, he talked on stage about the pressure, yeah. you know, the last couple of events. He, he knew, he knew where he stood and, and he may have not known exactly how many points, but he had to have known going that last tournament, he needed to finish in a certain place. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of how you do that. You, you got to know, but, but it still came down to, uh, was it day two or day three where he catches a keeper right at the last 10 or 15 minutes. And that's really what, you know, gives him the next cut. I mean, without that, it, it he might not have won it. I mean, it, it would have been really, really close. Yeah. Like, uh, what was it? It was day two. Cause that, cause he had to make for him to, pretty much give him a, a, to keep himself in contention. You had to make that day three cut, which they take right. the top 47. So, yeah. um, and I, I was out, you know, so I was up in lacrosse this past weekend. And so that was Saturday that I was out. So, uh, he, you know, I, I was out on media for a few hours and, uh, being that, you know, they take off in the black on pool eight and the black river section, which is where, uh, Brandon was fishing. It wasn't, he wasn't fishing too far from where the, where they all take off from. And so the, the camera guy goes like, you know, I want my, my, I'm sorry, my media guy was like, you know, who do you, who'd you want to go? I was like, well, who do, who do you know is around this area? Uh, Cause I knew I had a rough idea where Brandon was just uh, having seen where they've gone, uh, having fished in the past in that area. So uh, he's like, yeah, Brandon's not that far from here. So we went down and uh, I watched him for a few hours and, and it, dude, it was again. This is about midday, so uh, again they had a one hour delay. So he lost one hour of fishing, and then you know just seeing him, like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he had confidence in his areas. But uh, again, the whole mental side, like we talked about earlier, you know, like right. he's not getting bites. I mean, like because he's like I, like I was with my camera guy, I mean the, the media boat guy, and he was you know he 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 he's from the lacrosse here, but he lives in Pool Seven, which is a boot right up the pool right above uh, pool eight, which is where Brandon uh, was fishing. But he was like, man, you can see like the bait fish, uh, you know, uh, you know, popping and stuff like that. But Brandon just couldn't get a bite. I think he caught two maybe when we were there, but like, it was, you could just tell it was like a struggle and, and it's almost midday. And um, I, I don't know what was going through his mind. If he thought that it was pretty much game game over, or if he was still, you know what, I still got plenty of time. This river will give me something and uh, I can do what I need to do to, you know, get me in and, and, and hopefully seal the AOY. But man, you know, he seems like a guy that, that can really stay, stay in it and keep his head straight. But I, man, that is, man, the pressure of that, I don't, even the, even the best guy that can handle that, I don't see how it can't, you know, get you a little bit, but he obviously didn't give up. I mean, no. because he, he did catch that fish. So, he didn't fully give up, but I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, the weight on his shoulders got pretty heavy. Yeah. And so with making that day three cut, cause uh, it made him, well, put him in the top 20, top 47. So, and, and he finished, I think he finished day two in 37th place. So he was right. 10 points unofficially ahead of, or I think it was either tied or ahead of Chris Johnson. If not, it might've been a, a three-way tie at that point, but um but I didn't know until uh, Ronnie Moore, because uh, I, I, sh I shot him a quick test uh, text about it. Because like, oh, so you know, what is it uh, with Brandon making it? Technically, he won, but then he was like, no, it technically he didn't win because even though it would have been, a, I guess, if Brandon would have fell to the last 
paying spot, which is they uh, placed up to a 47th place. Um, it would have been, and it's if Chris Johnston would have won the event there. Right. Um, it would have been a tie. And then obviously Brandon had the tiebreakers. So basically with Brandon making the day three cut though, it, no matter what, even if he did finish last, Chris Johnson was out of the picture. So that kind of eliminated one, uh, one right. of the monkeys off his back there, but then but it's Brandon still Lester still had a shot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine the, 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 and as well as Brandon Lester has been fishing, you know, I mean, that's no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he had had a really good tournament to that point. So, uh, you know, Polonik knew he had some work left to do. Yeah. But, you know, just then I guess, you know, again, I don't know, uh, you know, what changed in that in his areas. If it's just, you know, we like we talked about, you know, that's the difference between fishing, what, a multi-day tournament versus a, a one-day tournament that a lot of us, or maybe even like, I know you have got more experience fishing multi-day tournaments, but things never change, you know, really stay the same things. You know, it's always, a, you know, there's small things or it could be big things that change uh, from day to day, hour by hour or so. But to know that, you know, to see him start that day three and it just seemed like, you know, I guess uh, the, the the river owed him something or something like that because he was uh, waiting on them pretty good, which allowed him to uh, seal uh, the AOY on day three. Well, and this is because I, I was kind of watching it sporadically. This is something I didn't know. Did, did he fish that day the same place he was fishing the day before? I, I watched. Or did he make of, a change? I watched part of it. Uh, what was it in the morning? Um, I, he started. So I, the areas that I know that he fished that I saw him on day two, um, he fished different areas. Not not. So it's a different stretch of the of that pool eight. You know, it's not that far. I guess you could say as a crow right. flies, but uh, it wasn't the same exact water because i know like what was it on day one uh where i saw him on day two uh where, where i caught up to him on day two that is um he fished that he was on that same stretch that uh, uh people that were watching day one uh bassmaster live on day one was a, was the a, um, same stretch that he caught that one bass on the uh with the swim bait where it looked like he was trying to start doing the figure eight deal there and right. so uh but i believe i from what it looked like it was definitely not in the same you know exact area that he he was on day three but i don't know if he if he went back and rotated to those spots but if i remember correctly i think he said that he saved that some of the spots on day three and i don't know if he meant that from practice or if he hit those during day one but uh but it was some different spots compared to day two yeah you know i I know there were you know the weather changed some there towards the end of the tournament as well but he he obviously i mean he, he had a fast start that that last day he was on the water so I mean, he he caught what he needed pretty early, and you know it, it kind of went from there. But yeah, he he got on them early, which which had to have been like just completely lifting the weight off his shoulders. That that had to have been a really good day for him. Yeah, just and just then, mentally mentally being able to get through it. And then what besides that, you know, um, did you see or did you think that it was all sealed? You know, the, for the lacrosse event, was it that it was all sealed? for Chris Johnson to take the win, you know, cause it seemed like, you know, again, people weren't expecting, I guess, again, not knowing, cause you know, obviously bass track is not hundred percent accurate, whether it's, you know, guys, you know, just small eyeing their fish or, you know, just the, the, what was it? The, in this case, they didn't have marshals, but the, the guy that right. is entering the weight into bass track again, it's a guesstimate. So, but did you, did you think that uh, Schmidt, you know, again, he led day one that he was going to be the one who could, uh, squeak out the win against Chris Johnston. 
Well, there again, I was kind of watching it sporadic through the day, and I really did not see most of what Schmidt called. So I, I did not have a good idea of what he had, if he was maybe a little low or a little high or what. I did see several of Chris Johnson's fish, and obviously I did see the flurry that Brandon Lester went on. And, you know, Brandon proved that that, that the river was capable of producing a really big bag. and. Yep. For and he, you know, he came close. I mean, those any of the guys in the top ten, if they had a really big day, had had a chance. No one was guaranteed fifteen to sixteen plus pounds. I mean, yeah. the, these guys all had to work for it. I mean, it, they could have easily had ten to twelve pounds. It's who was going to get a couple of better bites. Those four pound bass, mm-hmm. the the three and three quarter pound bass. That's the difference maker. And you don't always know when that's going to happen. You can be in the right area and just you either miss an opportunity. I know Chris Johnson missed a few fish. Uh, he was throwing a frog, and that happens. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was pretty exciting. I I, I thought, and, and, I mean, if you saw the way in, you know, Schmidt didn't even realize he he was convinced he wasn't going to win the tournament. I mean, it it took him a minute to, for it to sink in after he saw the, you know, saw the weight and, Mercer called him out as he's a winner. It's like, you know, did this just really happen? Yeah. Well, again, it was only a four ounce difference. So, you know, even if, you know, if he knew that, you know, obviously we, you know, a lot of us, when we, when we fish tournaments, we, we can see our bag, you know, if we, whether you weigh them or you're, you're the guy who just, you know, use eyeball. I mean, you throw them in, in your, right. your live one, stuff like that. You have a rough number in your head, what your fish is going to weigh. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, cause what Chris Johnston, again, you uh, the the fish are in a mesh weigh-in bag, but right. I'm pretty sure that you know Brian's looking at the at that sack. Oh, great! It's gonna. You know, I'm pretty sure he he either knew that it was gonna be uh, a game of ounces or that he lost because it, it made it look like you know that Chris Johnson did just enough. So yeah, it, you know it's it's almost it's almost kind of second nature for a, a tournament angler to just assume they don't have enough all the time. It's almost like you don't want the letdown, you know. You, <laughs> You're so close. If you just go ahead and assume you you don't have the win, then you don't. It's a little bit less letdown. Well, and then what? And especially with with the way how uh, and I don't know if um, if the pro circuit does this. I think they do, but I don't know for sure. But um, what is it? Uh, you know, with the elite series on day on day four, they weigh them in reverse order from the the lowest right. place guy uh, up to first place. So uh, you you know, being you know, every everyone below first place. Um, is working underneath a certain amount, you know, deficit. And I guess let me see if uh, day three the difference was just under two, uh, under two pounds, so about a pound and thirteen ounces, which is for I guess with with the weight differences up in the Mississippi River, that's still a good deficit, even though it's only you know less than two pounds. It's still it, a good as, deficit. Yeah, you know? as consistent as Johnson had been, I can understand where Schmidt could feel that you know he's not going to give him room, but you know there again Schmidt, Chris didn't give it to him. I mean, yeah. Schmidt earned it. I mean, he caught uh, over 16 pounds that day. So, you know, based on the history of the catches over the week, that was a really strong catch. So he he did what he obviously gave himself the chance, and it, and it worked out. So th- th- this particular event, like the Mississippi River, River event, might be just a tad bit different compared to – because there was a bit of a mixture of largemouth and smallmouth. But I know that when it comes to, like, the northern swing, um, a lot of – online people, the keyboard warriors complain about um, 
especially when it comes to a, a small, all smallmouth event. But do you? But I, I kind of maybe classify just to kind of you know be more generic about it. Put it together when you this event together with the other three with the St. Lawrence and Oahe. But do, how do you feel about? Because you know in this particular event, it, it was game of just ounces. Same thing with those smallmouth events. You know, even though that they're catching 20, 25 pounds, it's games of ounces, and sometimes you're catching bites, bites, right. bites, bites. Uh, as a as a fan of the sport, how do you feel about those type of turns, especially when they come up north? Um, you know, it's it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, obviously, I like a competitive tournament regardless. And, and we typically have that for the most part. Um, I, I do like it. I do like it better, though, when when anglers maybe have options. What what I don't it's not necessarily the difference in largemouth and smallmouth. I, I like to see a mixture of guys who are really strong shallow water anglers and a mixture of guys that maybe have the the deeper open water kind of I, I like to see those collide. I like to see them in situations where not just one or the other dominate that one or the other could dominate. Um, I, I, so it's not, I wouldn't say it's necessarily an all smallmouth, although it, it probably tends to be that way. Like the great lakes, it's going to be for the most part, you know, a deeper, a drop shot. It's, you know, I, I like something with a little more variety, I guess you could say. Okay. Yeah. I and I mean, like, come on, let's be honest. I mean, top water frogs, <laughs> if you're going to watch live coverage of a tournament, how can you not pull for a frog <laughs> tournament? I mean, those guys put that camera on that frog and you see the explosion. I mean, it it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, it's I, I know I'll get a lot of haters that that, that are gonna you know chew me out for this one because I'm not a big frog guy, only because of the fact that it's not that I, I love top water. I, I don't mind throwing a frog. It's just you know, we see some of those guys, especially even at this at this event, you know. But you know, the Mississippi River might be a bit different, maybe because it's bigger concentrations of fish underneath these fast mats whereas at least for me the inexperience of me uh comes in where you know where, where they're fishing the same almost the same exact lanes or maybe just a couple of feet apart but and they're still getting blows but you know, for me like like i said you know i'm like i'm not the biggest frog person uh frog fishing person only because of the fact that i feel like i've been working this mat for two hours i've only moved 20 feet i've got no blow-ups at all but uh but yeah just watching this event it made me feel like man i i need to go and go throw a frog in some top water and just really just lean into them <laughs> you know there, there's a lot of techniques that are that way and it, and and it, you kind of you're kind of proving the point that we say all the time you know it, it's all about time on the water and experiences mm -hmm. if you if you personally experience a situation or if you have success on a technique or you figure out a certain pattern at a certain time, you obviously have confidence. You understand as opposed to someone maybe telling you about it and you go trying to try to do it and you, you know, you don't have success. You kind of, you, you want to try to change and go to something that you're more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. it, it really takes doing it like, like take everything out of your boat, except that frog. And go force yourself to do it, and 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 then over time, once you find the areas that are productive and what works and what doesn't, that's when the light bulb goes off and you have confidence. You know, in matted grass is a lot of the same way. Yeah, it's it's a you're covering water slowly. You can't cover a lot. You're not making long casts and covering a lot of water. It's you're you're dipping your bait in, in small places. A lot of people give up on it because they don't have success. 
That's another one of those techniques. You have to take everything out of your boat and go do it. You may have to do it for three days straight, but you go do it, cover enough water. You start to learn what, what is right, what's not. And it completely changes, you know, how you think about that technique. I don't know. Like as, as it gets colder, uh, I'm, I'm going to, maybe I'll find an excuse to come down there and you'll give me a, a frog fishing one-on-one in Gunnersville. Hopefully <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, and, and you know, we had, I think we had a few texts this week, you know, about that. And, and I told you, I said, you know, I, you know, go ahead and add upper Mississippi to my, you know, my bucket list. My bucket list is pretty big, but <laughs> um, we do have frog fishing down here, but, because the grass in Gunnersville has changed so much over the years, it's not anywhere near like it used to be. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's a it's a lot shorter time of year. Um, it's very finicky. You know, back when the lake was all millful a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, you, you could you could throw a frog 20, 12 months out of the year. Uh, it didn't matter. I mean, we we would catch them in November, December. Okay. But the millful wouldn't grow any deeper than about six or seven feet of water. Mm. So it's 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 the best cover they had. They would be there, um, at, you know. And then hydrilla got in the lake. It changed things a little bit. Still wasn't bad. But then as as we've gotten other grasses and things to have changed, it just it's not as consistent as it used to be. O- over time, it's there's fewer chances of really good frog bite that you have. Where up there, it looks like in the summertime, um, it's pretty consistent because you you've got the right the right kind of cover. Well, the funny thing is what, you know, we talk about the frog fishing and everything, but I guess you could say what, uh, this is something that I keep joking about with that. It will make CB very proud. It took a Carolina rig to, <laughs> to dominate or to actually steal the win over here on, uh, on the Mississippi. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting. You can take, it's, it's been about two years in the works, but we're starting to see that Carolina rig come back in a lot of places. I mean, there, there's a lot, a lot more people using it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, the spinnerbait's another one that, that seemed like it was kind of dead and all of a sudden, you know, there's a few more guys using it. It's almost like if if certain techniques, you know, really grow and people are using it, then it becomes less effective and you have to kind of change it again. So a lot of the old techniques are that a lot of guys have kind of gone away from starting to come back again. Yeah. So no, don't we'll give see. up on those old techniques. <laughs> we'll see. I, cause like you said, you know, cause like even like, I'm not a big buzz, but like the buzz bait was a big thing for me. Maybe back when I first got in, cause again, who doesn't love a top water bite, but uh, right. I'm not saying it faded off anyway, but I think that like, um, you know, I was in with the last, what, maybe five, five years or so you saw a big research, especially when it came to, um, what was it? The, the, frogs with like a buzz toad a buzzing frog on the back there right. so right. uh we'll see what happens if there's any i guess i don't know if there's any like you could say new innovations but if there's going to be any any new fo- or any more focus on the carolina rig whether it's baits um different type of tackle which i'm not sure if, there, if you want to if there's really much you can improve on a, when it comes to the ball and chain but yeah well, the, the next the next big thing may be the fact that there's so many people fishing offshore. You know mm-hmm. that that was a fish not too long ago. I mean, re- it was really the A rig probably probably was the biggest thing that 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 kind of opened people's eyes to that offshore fish or that that fish that kind of roamed a little bit more, suspended more. We never fished for them. They yeah. were un- they were just completely untapped. That's why that A rig was so good in the beginning. 
you know, it was fishing for fish that you couldn't catch any other time other than maybe springtime when they pulled up the spawn. But there's so many people that are using this forward-facing sonar out in open water and all that. At some point, you know, as more people do that and gets consistent, will more of those fish start to move, spend more time in shallow water, shallow cover? You know, will, will, will those things start coming around? Will the the Denny Browers of the world, you know, you, you know that style of fishing, will that come back, you know, and start dominating again? Well, we saw, you know, that, that kind of because you say come into play big time in the AOI race this year up until what the Oahe event, which you know, Mr. John Cox with him fishing. I think he fished pretty much at least the world where I think on the elite side. I'm not sure about um on the pro circuit side for sure, but I think what he's up until Oahe, he spent pretty much everything in a few feet of water and, and made it work throughout the whole entire year up until Oahe, which where I think he, he it was you're pretty much forced to fish that way because there's nothing pretty much nothing without if it was lack of cover and the, the setup of that lake just didn't uh, didn't work out that way. But we saw that again that shallow water came into play big time at least for him uh, for the good majority of the season. Yeah, I know at some point at one point I'd heard that he said it, he had not caught a fish deeper than four feet. Yeah. So I mean I'm sorry I don't know what he what, what was all part of his arsenal throughout the different events whether it was you know he kept it very very simple or if he had you know your typical stuff that you know allows you know typical baits out allows him to work within that first couple foot or two of uh, the water column there well look 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 everybody tries to play him off as though he just keeps it simple and no big deal and he doesn't need electronics and all this trust me what he does is not simple okay he figures he understands water he can read it he understands he picks up on little clues that's not that's not simple. That's not yeah. an easy task. That is that is years of of honing his craft. That is that is having a great understanding for you know seasonal movements, how fish react. You know, I, you know the, the bluegill beds and all that. I mean that there's a lot that goes into that. So for guys that try to make that seem so simple, it's far from simple. Mm-hmm. Well, what was it? You know, speaking of AOY and Mr. John Cox and stuff like that, I guess we'll look at the the AOY standings, the final AOY standings, because I know that there's a, a few guys that squeaked in uh, on the skin. I guess I'm, I guess teeth only have skin, but let's skin their teeth. But obviously, number one finishing first is Brandon Polinick. Brendan Lester, he made that last, I guess, in a way, surprising charge. Um, I guess he finished in the end. He finished second and he finished third. Uh, 16 points out of the uh, uh, with a 60 point gap from Brandon Pal- Polinick. Uh, Chris Johnson was third. Drew Benton was fourth. Uh, Patrick Walters, again, pretty consistent with a uh, top five finish at AOY. Matt Airy with uh, finish sixth. A Mr. Onum, Matt Robertson, finished seventh. Was that a surprise for you? Not saying he didn't, that, that he does does bad or thing, but that for him to definitely finish that high up in the AOI is what second second season in the yeah you know you know Matt's another angler that I think gets is a little misunderstood um and I don't know if I don't know if it's kind of on purpose or it's just the way it is but you know he he kind of throws this persona out there that he's just some you know guy just you know having a good time and not a care in the world, but that, that guy can catch a fish and do it in a lot of different places. Yeah. So uh, d- don't let, don't let what you see with your eyes kind of take you away from, from reality that that dude can catch them. Yeah. I know. Like I've heard, you know, like I'm not saying it's a persona. I'm, I'm not saying it could be a, 
a you know exaggerated you know expansion of, of who he is as a person but a lot of people I, a few people i've talked to say that guy's actually a pretty a lot smarter than what people think or, or give him credit for so <laughs> There's no doubt about that. But and, and let's let me go. To, let me go to this because I, I don't. I don't. I don't want us to overlook this. I, you sure. know, Brian Schmidt had a really good, really oh, yeah. good tournament. Yeah. Uh, he fished four great days. Uh, he's had success there before. You know, obviously he kind of went into it very comfortable. But what he did was 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 really impressive. He, yeah. he had to make some changes throughout the tournament. All those guys that did well had to make some changes. Yeah. Um, you know that that also to me makes makes an, an interesting tournament but um you know and, and he says this after he weighed in you know two tournaments before hawaii he was not doing well in points i mean he, yeah. he he was close to not being able to qualify for the elite series for next year and, and he turned it around at the end but th- that's another guy that has a lot of respect from a lot of anglers when you when you hear or, or hear of anglers who fish with him over the FOW tour for for years, you know they have a ton of respect for him as an angler. Yeah. Um, that, that that is a guy that is probably his his results have probably not shown what his true ability is. Yeah. So I, I'll be interested to see how he can turn what could have been a negative season into a really good season here at the end. Yeah. Curious to see how how that takes him into next year. That that is sure. a guy that that really can get things done at a high level. And I hope to see that. I hope this kind of gives him a little extra confidence, a little extra boost, and we see that what he's really capable of next year. Yeah, I don't know what he was prior to the Mississippi, the start of the Mississippi event, but I know he finished 40th in AOY, so he barely squeaked in uh, for the for the classic for. Um, for next year but yeah i don't know where he would have been because i know that again uh we're not we haven't heard about cuts i'm not saying that he's safe or he's not he's not safe but you know with with uh when it comes to cuts for the elite seed uh for the elite field next year as well but i i, I thought our should say that before Ohio, he was around 70th mm. so i mean he, he made up a lot of ground yeah because big turnaround because I know that, you know, obviously with uh, Ronnie being on last year, uh, last week, I believe he mentioned like, you know, it was like a three-year average or something like that. So there's a lot of numbers that go beyond um, what was it the, from what we know. Uh, again, I, we're not sure because some of these guys don't have three years with the right. Elite Series at all either. So we're not sure if it's right. just a strict two years uh, or what. But uh, yeah, definitely. That, that, well, the, that, the, I think the rookies get automatic two years. Yeah. So, and then you've got some potential legend exemptions that are down there. You've got some some guys that had some medical medical leave that I think, you know, kind of helped them, you know, make it to another year. So it, it will be interesting to see, you know, how all that plays out. Yeah. I mean, we don't know, but, you know, we'll see how things come out with uh, once uh, the dust settles. Cause I know, uh, what was it? I think Mercer said yesterday that the 2023 schedule for the elite series season should be coming up sometime this week. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, as soon as we get it, it'll definitely go up on the English channel.com, but um, we'll see how that comes out. Oh yeah. When that comes out, uh, how that, how, how, especially when you talk about Brian Schmidt or guys that uh, struggled a bit this year that you weren't expecting to struggle. Like uh, what was it? Just being based off of this year, like, like a Hank Cherry, he finished 81st in AOY. Um, and I believe right. even, even uh, what was it? The Bassmaster Classic winner this year, um, 
Jason Christie. I think he was like around the, the classic bubble mark, if not even below that, coming into this event. Uh, and then for him to eventually, I think he, yeah, he finished 27th overall, but I think he was kind of, right. he was hovering uh, lower than what you would anticipate him being at. So right. we'll right. see how, how, uh, the the last event or two here uh, for guys that built momentum and we always talk about how momentum can play big in this game even though there's going to be a good three or four month gap between uh this event here and the start of the elite series season next year but you never know how you know again if they're able to capture and keep the momentum going it might hopefully help uh, get them jump started on a good start next year all right so I guess keeping the whole Bassmaster theme here, I know I got a note here from uh, from uh, CB, but and I, I I I I sucked at both games. I don't know if KG if you played uh, <laughs> was a fantasy on the Elite Series side as as uh, seriously as you do the U Pickums, but um, but a Mister Neil Paul uh, finished second overall on the Drain the Lake. Uh, which I think is their second year of doing it, but he finished second overall. So congratulations. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that means anything. Cause I believe if you win, you got a fishing trip with either Davey Hyde or Mark Zona, one of the two. So I'm pretty sure Neil would have liked to at least transition yep. from being a marshal to uh, having a fishing rod in his hand with one of these guys, but congratulations to, uh, was it Anderson's uh, own uh, Neil Paul there. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty yeah. cool. You know, you know, Neil's Neil's a great guy, and what yep. what he's done for the for Lake Hartwell has been impressive. But uh, he obviously knows a lot of these guys, and he he put that knowledge to work and did really well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what the gap was, but I know that he did finish second overall. But then again, Drain the Lake is a whole lot different because you work with the the the, the that full pool, and then once you use that angler for whatever event, you can't use them. So. For some guys, you're strategizing right. from the get from the beginning from the first event. So, but yeah, congratulations, you to have Paul. To. Yes, yeah, because uh, yep. you're definitely a way smarter person than when it comes to these games. Because, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he wish he would have gotten uh, first so he can go. Because uh, I'm assuming if it's if it was fish with Mark Zone, he's fishing up here somewhere, somewhere up somewhere up north. Which I'm not sure if he if, if he would like that better. I mean, it might be colder depending on when the trip is, but uh, but, but I'm pretty sure he wouldn't mind fishing, uh, getting a change of, or getting a chance to chase smallmouth instead of uh, what was it spots and largemouth uh, on Hartwell there. But you know, Neil's one of those guys. If Neil if Neil really wanted to fishing trip with Mark Zona, he could probably pick up the phone and call him and make that work. <laughs> he probably doesn't have to just win this deal in order to have that opportunity. Well, uh, if he's able to make that work, I need him to throw a few, uh, a few, uh, a few nice words for me so I can hopefully get another trip with that. I mean, I fished briefly with Zona and it was just for the few hours and it was fun, but I would like to spend a, a, a more than just a few hours. Cause I, uh, you know, just to kind of, again, I'm, I'm not out of the, uh, with the three of us on this show here, I'm probably the the least skilled angler <laughs> experience. <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. You put a whooping on me when we were on gunners. <laughs> but yeah, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Neil, if you hear this, if if you do, uh, if you got some uh, pull with uh, you know anyone, uh, was it Mark Zona or even Davey? Yeah, I definitely wouldn't mind coming down there and uh, fishing Santee. <laughs> but but yeah, definitely, uh, Neil, uh, let me know uh, work that one out for me. But um, other than that, um, hey, a trip with Davey Hyde on Santee would be really cool. Santee's on my bucket list too. <laughs> well, Santee, what what? I don't know if it's what February, March, April, whenever they go there every year. And it's like, 
I don't know. Besides the whole getting stuck in a sandbar thing, which uh, I don't have much experience with, but you know, besides that, uh, I would just love to just you know, top water, letting some braids sing, you know, flipping some of those. Uh, was it the knees of the uh, oh, what are those trees called again? Cypress trees. Yeah, cypress trees and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Ah. It's it's a special place. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot of really special places, and that's that's definitely one of them. All right. Well, other than that, I don't think there's much happening. I know the, the 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 this lacrosse event was the last event for the Elite Series for this year. So that's one more one more top level tour that's down for the rest of the year. There's a few more opens left. So the going with the whole classic qualification, I believe. I don't know if it, even with Brian Schmidt winning, I don't know if that moved um, moved the qualification spots down any further because Carl Jockinson was the last guy in at 43rd. So I'm not sure if, um, again, like I said, Brian winning, if that bumped it down to 44th or if it's going to have to come down to, because uh, the 44th uh, place guy is Shane LeHue. Um, he's in four, uh, what was it? He's in 40, uh, 44th. Uh, and then three points behind him is Hunter Shryock. Caleb Stromerall's in 46 uh, for 482. So um, I forget how many more opens. There's not that many more. I think there's probably two or three. I think there's three left. But um, so not many more open spots. I mean, I'm sorry, classic spots available. But uh, yeah, but like I said, for sure, Carl got in. And then, like I said, I'm not sure if with Brian winning, if that bumped it on to Hunter, I mean, Hunter, Shane LeHue, or if that's uh, if, if Carl being in it factored into uh with is factored with brian winning but yeah but other than that um for those that didn't catch it at the beginning of the show uh there's a bunch of promotions happening at the moment uh in celebration of brandon's uh win aoy win there Exone again is throwing uh is having a 30 percent off uh deal with the code bmp30 so make sure you use that code at exzonelures.com. Pick up some of the, I don't know, some adrenaline cross, some of the uh, the swammers, stuff like that. I don't know what, uh, I'm pretty sure, KG, you need to restock soon because I know I have, I, I, I'm it's towards the end of the season for me, so I'm running low. <laughs> I, actually, there are several things I do need to get, so it's <laughs> not a bad idea. I may, may jump on tonight and go and play this in order. But yeah, definitely use that code BMP. So those are, I guess, uh, you know, if you're, for those that don't know, Brandon's uh, initials are BMP30 at checkout, and that'll allow you to save 30% off at Exxon Lures' website. Also, this week or for Labor Day weekend, uh, Revita Outdoors has their Labor Day sale with the code Labor Day. You save 25% for your entire purchase. So if you're looking to try out uh, some of the CBD stuff they've got there. I know that it seemed like a lot uh, talking with Theron over at Revital during ICAST. They had a lot of people come by asking about stuff, uh, about the products they had. So if you're on the fence about CBD or, or you've heard good stuff and want to try what the outdoorsmen are using, uh, again, save 25% with the code Labor Day at Revital Outdoors. Um, sponsor, oh yeah, sorry. Sportsman's also is having a 25% off all clearance uh, items, so additional 25% off uh, for Labor Day. So make sure you check that out. And if you are in the Seminole area, if uh, like CB mentioned earlier, if you want to get CB's autograph or um, harass him a bit for uh, for always complaining about uh, what was it the uh, the MLF formats and stuff like that, uh, he'll be at the Seminole store. Uh, I think this uh, Thursday, September 8th. 
and he'll be also at the Cincinnati opening as well on the 12th. So if you, I'm sorry, the 16th. So if you want to get your picture taken or harass CB a bit, he'll be at those two locations in the upcoming weeks here. Um, and then the last thing here is the, again, at the beginning, CB mentioned about our competition or, or um, for, uh, again, for this one, you got to text it into the X zone hotline brought to you by Trickstep. Uh, or make sure you text it in. It's 901-493-0437. But there are three guys that have won three end of the years only. So again, Kevin's got seven. Roland's got nine. So those guys got at least have three, but there's only three anglers of the year that have won a total of three AOIs. Uh, if you can text that in to the hotline there with those three names, I guess CB will figure out how to award the the winner, but uh, but definitely get in on that, share that, let everyone know. And then the last thing is we'll keep an eye out for the 2023 Elite Series schedule, which hopefully go out sometime uh, pro Dave Mercer later this week. So, KG, anything else that I have missed or? No, I'm I'm patiently awaiting the Toyota Series schedule. I'm hearing it it may happen next week. So, and I, I know a lot. I know a lot of the BFL guys are are clamoring for their schedule. But it, usually, if those guys fish their two day tournament at the end of the year, there's usually at least some kind of a. Uh, projected schedule posted there they can get that information there so uh, i'm expecting over the next month or so we should have a lot of uh, tournament schedules determined and probably give you a lot of work to do on the website yeah definitely <laughs> since kg's bringing that definitely if you guys are wondering why we didn't again cb brought this up earlier but if uh obviously with labor day coming up but if as i know uh as people get their fall series going or the winter or even their 2023 schedules go send those over to me d shong d x i o n g at englishchannel.com send those over to me and i'll make sure uh, uh, i can get those up as soon as possible uh like i said make my life a bit easier instead of uh waiting till january 1st and popping <laughs> all the hundreds if not thousands of lists out there but definitely shoot them over to me when i make sure that we can share that information with all the different people out there you'll never know if one day if i am in your neck of the woods i may end up showing up and uh want to fish one of your events but or kg because i know kg's uh uh, got a brand new boat that needs to be built, uh, broken in more wind, have some more fish slime filling, uh, filling up and dirtying up this carpet. So, <laughs> uh, I, I need to fill up the live wells. What I need to do. <laughs> Other than that, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, CB always asks you this or ask us this, but anything you learned, or if not, if nothing you learned, any special plans since it's just an empty nest for, is it empty nest for the two of you? No, my no, my son's still okay. here. Okay, um, so he, he graces us with his presence every once in a while. <laughs> but for the most part, he just kind of does his own thing. But, he's got a full time job doing well with it, so that's no complaints. It's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> uh, my, my daughter is not in Iceland anymore. Okay. Um. um well. Midnight Saturday night, they ended up, or almost midnight, they flew to uh, London. Okay. So she'll be in London for a little while. Okay. So she's moving around. It's uh it's interesting keeping up with her. Um they're keeping her busy. Um they're cramming a lot into this three month deal. Any so since she's no longer in Iceland, did she mention what her favorite takeaway or favorite thing from Iceland was? 
you know, not not really. We haven't the the little time that we've had to communicate. That's not really something that we're after. Uh, but okay. yeah, Iceland's a very unique place. I mean, it it was a little surprising to us, but she she learned a lot about it. And I just hope that when she gets done, when she gets to the end, and she gets home. You know, over Thanksgiving holidays, we're able to kind of sit down and she can kind of go through the whole the whole scenario. But it's so much. I mean, she's she's doing so much. I, I'm a little afraid that by the time she gets to the end, she's going to have a hard time remembering the beginning. <laughs> but we'll we'll see. Yeah. No special plans this weekend. I'm assuming it's just another another uh, normal weekend, even though it's Labor Day weekend. Um. Yeah, I, I don't. I'll probably. I don't know if I'm working Monday or not. I might work Monday. If I don't work Monday, I'm looking at maybe spending Saturday and Monday on the water. Just breaking, putting more hours in the motor, or probably getting no, no. I, I'm I'm gonna go catch some fish. Okay. I need to set. The, I need to set the hook. <laughs> uh, it's, it sounds like it's been a while. Besides, I guess a little brief, brief session that you had out getting you know a few hours into the new boat and motor but it sounds like it's been a while because i haven't heard much from you about you know uh you know getting the line wet and anything like that so well you know the the last events i had it were in june yeah and they were all abt events so i'm filming other guys fish or i'm talking about other guys fishing talking to them after they weigh in um it's been a while since i've had the opportunity to just go catch fish on my own you know, I sold my boat not long after that. Um, yeah. So, I, and, and I've just gotten this one. So, but this is kind of the time of year that I do that. I, it's it's what I do. It's kind of the way it is. It's a shame because June is really my favorite time to fish. But between the ABT schedule and everything else, I, I rarely get to fish in June anymore. But um, but what typically happens is I, I get kind of some free time in the fall. Uh, there's only two more ABT events left. We've got the championship in October and then the, the ABT 100 November. So it gives me some time to fish and that's kind of what I'm where I'm at now. I got to figure out there's a few options to fish September and October. I got to figure out what I'm what I want to spend the time on. So there's a couple of BFL two days on Pickwick I'm considering they're back to back weekend. So I I just probably tonight or tomorrow I'll sit down with the with the the schedules and kind of figure that out because I need to know that now. I need to start preparing now for that. So sure. Because it's, it's going to come up pretty quick by the time you know, by the time you figure it out. If it doesn't happen quick, it's going to stop right. on you. Well, so. I need to start spending some time. Like, you know, Pickwick, I, I need to spend some time over. It's been a little while since I've been to Pickwick. With the grass, it changes every year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little different. So I, I need to do a little preparing if I'm going to do that. But okay. uh, I'll either be there or Gunnersville. I mean, that's kind of okay. my two options right now. Yeah. Uh, with me, uh, I don't think there's one. My, my kids start school on Thursday. So, you know, that's. One thing I'm not gonna say I'm looking forward to, but it's just it's been you know a few I guess you know a um, few months of them being home because I I've been fortunate just to still be working from home for now. So uh, having them home every day for the last couple of weeks that'll be a, a slight change. But they start school and then obviously I think Labor Day I will see what happens. I don't think I'll do anything too exciting, but maybe just kind of. And I'll maybe figure something. I'll just spend time with the family, but uh, I don't know. I definitely need to get out in the water again soon before it starts building a hard layer and I can't get my line wet the way I really want to. So um, other than that, uh, you know, again, for those that uh, support us, thank you for listening. Please definitely share 
rate and review our podcast. Thank you again for always supporting us, whether it's the podcast, social, wherever you get your philofenglishchannel.com. But uh, until the next episode, which I don't know what we'll have in store next week, or if you will have one because of Labor Day, but uh, for Chris Brown, Kenneth, and I guess me here, uh, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, thank you again, and we'll see you next time. KG? Don't take it personal. <laughs> That's how we do it here. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast. Brought to you by Under Armour Fish, Costa Sunglasses, Pro Charging Systems, X-Zone Lures, and Trickstep. Visit anglerschannel.com, your number one bass fishing tournament resource.